Welcome to another episode of the Jets Cast, inspired by Milo Time, Daryl Kessler, along with Mitchell Epner. Hey, great to see you, Daryl. Great to see you, Mitch. Great to see you. I can't say that we're going to have a lot of uh, joyous conversation about the Jets here, um, but I am really happy to have you here again. And I, uh, it's fair to let you know that so many people who listened to the first episode on which you appeared, which was the second episode of the Jets Cast, said... Boy, it sounds like you and Mitch have been together on the air for years. And I said, well, we have been together on the uh, on the air for years, just not consecutive years. It had actually been quite a few years, which I think I noted last time. Yeah, so uh, when we were um, last on the air before last week, I believe that Bill Clinton was still like a little-known governor from Arkansas. I think that's right. Uh, that's, that is definitely right. Um so it's been a while. It's been a few years, but it, it didn't feel that way. So welcome back. I'm glad you're joining me again. Um, as our uh, listening audience from last week knows, I'm going to start each episode with a really quick Milo Jet story, and this one's going to be really quick. Uh, there was a year that for Halloween, Milo decided that he wanted to dress up as Rex Ryan. And so it was somewhere around 2010 Milo was probably seven years old. I mean, it was sometime between, I don't remember exactly the years Rex Ryan was the coach, but it was around 2010, 11. So let's say Milo was seven or eight years old, and he came up with an idea to dress as Rex Ryan. He walked out of the house dressed as Rex Ryan, and within five minutes, he bumped into one of Max's best friends, Martin Noxon, who's the older brother of one of Milo's great friends, Charlie Noxon. And Martin had the exact same idea, and he was also dressed as Rex Ryan. So Milo and Martin had a great laugh about it and walked around together for Halloween as two Rex Ryans. If only one of them had dressed as Rob Ryan, Rex's <laughs> fraternal twin, then they really would have had something. But they, they they couldn't pass themselves off as Rob Ryan, so they were both Rex Ryan. And if people go to the uh, Instagram page for the Milo Time podcast, at Milo Time Podcast. I will dig through my photos and find a picture of Milo and Martin Axon together dressed as Rob Ryan, uh, as Rex Ryan for Halloween circa 2010. You know, the one thing that always shocked me about Rex Ryan is he never figured out a way to bring in a barefoot kicker. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, um, I'll let that one sit. I'll let that one sit. People, uh, some people may know what Mitch is referring to. Others may not. You can definitely, um, if you look up Rex Ryan and Barefoot, I think that'll probably get you where you need to go to understand Mitch's joke. Yeah, well, if you know, you know. If you don't know, probably not worth looking up. Right. It, it did make me think of Rich Carlos for the first time in a long time, the old Denver Broncos Barefoot kicker, but that's 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 for another podcast. So, Daryl, I've got a question for you. Yes. What was it like watching a Jets game where um, the quarterback, Zach Wilson, achieved the bare minimum that you said he had to achieve, which was every possession ended with a kick? Yeah, it is interesting because when I was thinking about what I had said the Jets needed to do, they actually did a lot of those things. Rec um, Zach Wilson did not turn the ball over. They did run the ball a good number of times, not very effectively. They punted and didn't turn the ball over. Um, those are all good things. Those are those are good things and important things for the Jets to do with Zach Wilson at quarterback. 
unfortunately, and I preface this, Mitch, and this is something we sh- this is worth talking about. Between us, you and I have probably watched a thousand football games, but there's much that we don't understand about the way plays are built and how quarterbacks read progressions. Fully admit that, like, of course, as even fanatic fans, there's much we don't understand about offensive schemes. That's a given. That being said, as someone who's watched a lot of football games, it looks to me like Zach Wilson is not either getting through progressions quickly enough, or maybe even more to the point, is not reading defenses at the line of scrimmage that would allow him to make the reads properly once the ball is snapped. So he's behind time-wise at the time the ball is snapped, and then compounding that, he is not getting through the progressions quickly enough and therefore not choosing the best option. And it seemed that that was the case over and over again in that he was missing open receivers and throwing to less optimal options over and over again. I don't know whether you saw the same thing or... So the the broadcast did a very good job and the, the color commentator, who was himself a very, very good um, NFL quarterback, kept pointing out when and where the throws should have been made. And one of the things that's really different between NFL football and even high-level college football is NFL Open is not obvious to the naked eye. College Open, you can like read the the receiver's numbers and they're pointing at the quarterback and like, oh, that guy's open. NFL Open is you've got a step and a half on the defender and that is the window that the quarterback has to not only be able to throw into, but to be able to see. And uh, Zach Wilson proved it with one throw in the first half where he threw a really great deep out that he could put the ball into a very small hole where it had to travel on a line a very long distance. He's got the arm. What he doesn't have, apparently is the ability to recognize where those holes are going to be and react to them quickly enough because when they're really small, they close up really quickly. Yeah, that's exactly right. I agree with that completely. And a couple of things, again, the caveat here is that how these things are calculated is to me a little opaque, certainly compared to like baseball analytics, but the football analytics at PFF at um, Pro Football Focus showed that the Jets' offensive line performed relatively well, and not just relative to the previous week in which they really struggled. The Jets' offensive line as a unit on pass blocking scored out at 77%, which is their third highest score in like the last two years as a unit. Now, That's comparing them to other Jets offensive line units, but if it's their third best over the last two years, it suggests that they did a pretty good job. At the same time, Zach Wilson was pressured on almost half his dropbacks, which suggests those two things that would seem to be hard to be true at the same time until you get the third stat, which is that he held the ball 
the longest amount of time each drop back in the NFL last week, except for Justin Fields, who has similar issues and challenges to Zach Wilson. All this is to say that it's hard sometimes when you're evaluating a quarterback's performance to know how much of it is the quarterback, how much of it is the offensive line, and how much of it is the receivers not getting open. In this week, the analytics suggest, and the eye test suggested, that the offensive line did a pretty good job and a much better job than they did the previous week. I think moving that draft pick Tipman in at guard was helpful. I think moving Becton out wide and Tucker out wide into the tackle spots, Vera Tucker, was very helpful. And by and large, they did a good job. And I think also you have a superior route runner in Garrett Wilson, who I think was getting open. And if those two things are true, you have to point the finger at the quarterback and recognize that he's holding the ball too long. It's probably because he either lacks the confidence, as you said, Mitch, to get it into those tight spots, or he's simply not getting the read right and not recognizing those spots in time to get rid of the ball and deliver it to the proper place. So um, when we were off air, I said to you that if the Jets just had Chad Pennington, who was a middle-of-the-pack quarterback at his best, who was a really smart quarterback, who I think started out being moderately physically gifted, and after all the injuries by the time he left, was really hobbled, but he was just really smart and he knew how he knew what he could do and he did it as well he got everything out of his physical talents if they had that quarterback this year i think this team would be a real challenger for a playoff spot uh but they don't have anything near a chad pennington yeah so the jets 15 to 10 loss to the new england patriots was disheartening For a number of reasons, I think your point is well taken. I think it highlighted, Mitch, how deficient they are at that position. And as great a draft as Joe Douglas had last year, and, you know, bringing in Garrett Wilson and bringing in Sauce Gardner and bringing in Clemens and bringing in uh, Jermaine Johnson, like a really outstanding draft. What Joe Douglas also has to answer for is leaving the Jets in a position where their backup quarterback, it seems increasingly obvious, is not an NFL quarterback, like most of us, by the way. I mean, Zach Wilson, there's no shame in not being good enough to be an NFL quarterback. Most of us are not good enough to be an NFL quarterback for some reason. And I think Robert Sala, I understand what he's doing. He's got to talk up Zach in the post-game press conference because, you know, Larry Bird's not walking through that door. But Trevor Um, Simeon is. But Trevor Simeon is. So the Jets, in order to fill a gap created by Zach Wilson's limitations, bring back a quarterback who has shown repeatedly that he's not capable of leading an NFL team to wins. Again, all due respect to Trevor Simeon, he had a moment, I think, with Denver a few years ago when he had a stretch of effective play. But since then, that has not been the case. So Trevor Simeon is the definition of replacement level NFL quarterback. And what replacement level means for people who are not ensconced in, you know, um, sabermetrics in every sport is what is the level of talent that you can always pick up off of the waiver wire? Now, 
that player was probably the best player in their conference in college, unless they were in a big five conference, in which case they were like somebody who was touted to do big things. But at the NFL, you're someplace between like the 45th and 75th best quarterback on the planet. Yeah. Um, and that's not enough to be able to win games. It may be enough to help your team avoid losing games because of being quarterback. Well, that doesn't sound so bad right now for Jet fans, to be honest with you. But I'm not sure that Trevor Simeon moves the needle in terms of the likelihood of winning. Um, well, the question then becomes, is Zach Wilson a replacement level quarterback? He might be worse than a replacement level. He might have a negative... Um, war, he might be a negative relative to a replacement level player. Um, I think the jury's still out on that. It seems, again, increasingly unlikely that he can be a consistent asset. I think you highlighted the one thing about him that is obviously good, which is he has tremendous arm strength. And if he stumbles onto the correct read, he can really deliver a ball. But it's that first part. What is he seeing? before the snap, after the snap, and is he going through those progressions quickly enough and making the right read? And all those things, I think I'm being kind by saying the jury's still out because he's in his third season now and things should be clicking at this point and they they just aren't. And I don't think he's going to play, I don't think he's going to start for the Jets more than another game or two. I just, it's hard for me to imagine this Sunday's game at home on Sunday night national TV against Kansas City going well and it's at MetLife Stadium and I think it's going to be really difficult for him to perform in a way that satisfies the coaching staff and satisfies his teammates and satisfies the fans it's going to be it's going to be he's going to have his hands full so I'm going to ask you an unfair question but since you've been a Jet fan forever and we've been friends for a very long time in the pantheon of Jets quarterbacks do you think Zach Wilson will end up above or below Browning Nagel? Yeah. So I've been thinking about Browning Nagel quite a bit because even though physically they're different, I think Browning Nagel was bigger. There, There is some overlap there. I mean, I think when the Jets took Nagel out of Louisville, um, he was known as a strong-arm quarterback who would have work to do to learn how to be an NFL quarterback, in particular the types of issues that you've already highlighted, making proper reads and getting rid of the ball in a much smaller window than he had to do in college. And Nagel ultimately was unable to do that. Now, because he wasn't taken second overall in the draft, he didn't get as many chances as Zach Wilson has already received and is going to receive. I think that um, it's a frightening but very apt comparison. And at this moment, I don't see a lot of difference between the two. I remember watching Browning Nagel play. I remember seeing him deliver some really good balls, and I remember him taking sacks, and it does seem like we've got some of the same limitations with Zach Wilson, notwithstanding their different draft positions. So I'd like to say Zach Wilson will be a better quarterback than Browning Nagel, but as of today, it's shaping up that he's going to be a greater failure because of his draft position and do more damage to the organization because they're going to be forced to stay with him for 
many more games than the Jets ever use Browning Nagel in. I, I would say that at this point, if Zach Wilson can get to Glenn Foley or uh, Richard Todd, I would be thrilled. Now, Richard Todd took the Jets to an AFC championship game, but I guess it was a different era. It's hard to com- compare. But if he can become a competent NFL quarterback, I think most Jet fans would be would be very happy. I think the next step is Matt Robinson. Matt Robinson. Well, he lost the job to Richard Todd. I remember that seemed like a great controversy at the time. I was always a Matt Robinson guy, but um, I can't complain. Richard Todd did take them to an AFC championship game. We've talked enough about the quarterback position. We've talked about the offensive line grading out pretty well. I also had spoken about the defense on the last episode. And, you know, it's an interesting thing. Once again, the Jet defense sort of did what I thought they needed to do, and yet it still wasn't enough in some significant part because of the offense. But it is funny, the Jet defense, unlike many other NFL defenses that are very good, doesn't appear to be seeking out turnovers. There are a lot of other defenses in the NFL that spend a lot of time punching the football. And late in the game, when the... Patriots repeatedly were trying to run the clock out and were unable to do so. Every time the Jets went in on a tackle, I kept yelling at this TV screen, like, punch the ball, like, like try to create a turnover. And it looked like they were not doing that. And as a result, I don't think the Patriots turned the ball over once in the game. Some of that's because the Patriots have game planned around uh, Mac Jones's limitations, which is to their offensive coordinator's credit and some of it is the way the Jets play defense and it was effective it's hard to argue when you give up 15 points and basically make one significant mistake that allowed that that touchdown Um, but yeah the Jets defense did what you would want your defense to do they held the other team to basically the equivalent of two touchdowns but they didn't generate any turnovers and that ended up hurting so to be fair to the Jets' defense, they didn't give up 15 points. They gave up 13 because there was a safety involved. Oh, that's right. Oh, absolutely right. Of course. Um, of course. But the Jets' defense did not create pressure. It did not get sacks. It There was one dropped interception. But other than that, there weren't any other real opportunities for interceptions uh, there were no fumbles created, let alone recovered. And um, the difference for me between a very good defense, which is what the Jets defense has been this year, and a great defense is a great defense creates short fields and maybe scores. And you can create a short field by holding teams to three and outs. The Jets, outside of the last couple of minutes, when they just stymied the Patriots' attempts to do the four-minute drill, were not creating three and outs. They were letting the Patriots get two or three first downs and then holding basically in midfield, which meant the Jets, on the regular, had to go 80-plus yards to score a touchdown. And they don't have the offense to, on the regular March 80 plus yards to score a touchdown. Um, They weren't getting turnovers. Um, So I think that they need, in order to be a defense that wins games, they need to either start creating short fields or creating turnovers. I think that's very fair analysis. And the other thing I do want to mention, we talked a little bit about 
the pass blocking, it's almost impossible to grade the run blocking in this game because the Patriots just had eight guys in the box all game long daring Zach Wilson to throw. Sometimes nine. Sometimes nine. So if you look at the running stats and you say that they averaged two yards a carry, they did run the ball roughly 20 times, not effectively, but it's hard to say whether the five jet offensive linemen and the tight end did a poor job blocking the eight or nine guys they were charged with blocking. Um, I'll leave that for another time. Um, but in terms of the defense, Mitch, I think you're right. Particularly when you have a quarterback struggling, the best way to help would be to create some short fields and create some good vibes. I just don't know whether even on a short field, Zach Wilson is capable of consistently delivering the ball properly. But obviously a quarterback in the NFL or at any level would be helped by a shorter field and um, putting points on the board, even field goals, just getting something going for the offense. And the Jet defense was sound, but not explosive and not spectacular and not going to argue with them giving up 15 points, but there are other things that could help the offense. Um, Again, whether Zach Wilson could take advantage of that help remains to be seen. So I I mentioned before the Patriots truly inept four-minute offense and the Jets uh, only slightly more apt (laughs) two-minute offense. (laughs) Right. Um, But I wanted to turn it to back to Milo um, because as a person with a truly brilliant mathematical mind, I imagine that you and he probably had discussions about clock management on both sides of the ball, um, and I'm just going to let you cook. Yes. Go. So uh, thank you very much. We, we absolutely did, and he had um, some fairly straightforward and simple ideas about it that, that do make sense. Milo's attitude about the Jets' clock management um, was that because the Jets were almost always the inferior team on the field. One way that they could stay in games longer and give themselves a chance to win would be to run clock from the very beginning of the game and limit the amount of possession their opponents had. The idea that Milo had was um, if you can run the ball and even from the very beginning of the game, allow the play clock to tick down. It increases the Jets' time of possession, which, as almost certainly the inferior team on the field, can only help. Now, there are some offenses that work very quickly and quick-strike offenses. We're going to talk about the Kansas City football team um, later in this broadcast. So um, we know that there are some teams that don't need the ball a lot to score a lot of points. But I think generally Milo's idea was... The Jets should possess the ball as long as they can and run as much clock as they can from very early in the game. As far as late in the game, he, um, and I don't think this was just flying off the handle, he was not in favor of teams simply running the ball three times and punting it if they needed a first down to ice a game. He was not in favor of that. He was, he thought that teams should have a very small late-game playbook that included a couple of plays that were not designed, that were designed only to keep the ball off the turf and to to um, 
to achieve short yardage plays. So his thinking was there should be a playbook for the bulk of the game, and then a team should have a playbook, very small playbook of however many plays it is for late in the game when you don't want to predictably run the ball so you can throw the ball in a way that that approximates a run and decreases the likelihood that the ball is going to hit the turf. Nothing earth-shattering, but he definitely was opposed to the idea of running and conceding, basically by running three times, running it, thinking you're going to punt the ball away. Because as Jet fans, we saw them fail too many times to hold the lead late after punting a ball away. And he was in favor of, again, a consistent, very cautious playbook that included some short passes that allowed you to keep the clock running and keep the ball off the turf. Again, nothing earth-shattering. So let's turn to the upcoming national game. Um, The Jets against Travis Kelsey, his girlfriend, and the Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah, so let's do that. Um, There's not a lot of really optimistic things to say um, because Patrick Mahomes is such a handful, as well as the Jet defense... I'll say contained the Patriots offense. It's on a much different level trying to contain the Kansas City offense. Um, They'll have their hands full. I'm sure that the Kansas City defense is licking its chops, the possibility of facing Zach Wilson. I think you're going to see exactly what the Patriots did. I would invite people who watch the game to notice pre-snap how many guys are not only on the defensive line, but then also within two or three yards of the defensive line in the linebacker spot. And I suspect that they're going to do the same thing the Patriots did, which is have eight in the box most often and dare Zach Wilson to beat them and continue to put eight in the box until he proves that he can. And the the problem that the Jets have is when you have a quarterback who doesn't keep the defense honest, there are more defenders than there are offensive linemen. Right. Which means you get a free runner at the at the ball carrier on every down. And if the ball car- carrier can't make at least one guy miss, you're going to have very tough sledding. Ordinarily, the things that teams do in order to try to make up for that are play-action passes... Um, and um, having quick slants or things that mean that you have to keep your safeties high so that you don't get the sort of breakdown that the Jets got on that one play where they gave up on really a simple completion, uh, a 60-some-odd-yard touchdown. Um, Can Zach Wilson keep a defense honest? I don't know. Yeah, we're going to find out, but the evidence over these last three years, he's had some injuries, he's missed a lot of time, is suggesting, you know, the old eight ball, the old magic eight ball, signs point to no. Um, I would say that signs certainly point to no for Zach Wilson. And what I'm going to be focused on in this game for Zach Wilson is how quickly he's releasing the ball. I said last week, Nathaniel Hackett, earn your paycheck. I said the same thing first week. He's holding the ball too long. This is just a fan. I'm not breaking down every play. He's holding the ball too long. I almost want to suggest... I think most NFL plays allow the quarterback three reads and a check down. I almost want to suggest that they should make it two reads and a check down, or even one read and a check down, to simplify matters for Zach. 
my focus is going to be on how quickly he gets rid of the ball. If he's not getting rid of it and running in circles behind the line of scrimmage again and scrambling around, you'll know in the first quarter whether the Jets are are in trouble. And in all likelihood, I hate to say it, they're going to be. So I've got a friendly proposition for you. Sure. Let you take either side of it. Loser brings the winner beverage of choice for next podcast. Done and done. Done and done. And Mitch, that means you're going to come back for another week. You know, I was thinking about this podcast and you extraordinarily generously um, volunteered to join me here. And Mitch is, Mitch lives in Manhattan and he is a very hardworking lawyer, yet on Wednesday mornings now, he is taking the subway all the way down to Brooklyn to record these in my home studio. So an extraordinarily generous offer. It's wonderful to have Mitch doing this, but I feel a little bit, do you, you know the, um, do you remember the movie, the very, very disturbing documentary, Capturing the Freedmen's? Oh, God, So, yeah. so I went to is, summer camp with one of those people. Okay, so you know it a little bit about it. Andrew Jarecki, the, I think that's Andrew Jarecki is the, mm. the documentary maker. He had set out in that documentary to make a documentary about birthday clowns. And one of the birthday clowns he was interviewing, he discovered had a very deep, dark secret about his family that involved child abuse and sexual molestation and a whole host, a closet full of things that came out during the course of the making of this documentary that it spawned. Again, it was supposed to be a documentary about about birthday clowns. It ended up being about this extraordinarily tangled web of abuse and horrific stuff. And I feel a little bit like this Jets cast might be headed in that direction. We started out optimistically talking about the Jets, you know, coming off at least the Bills win, and then, you know, things taking a different turn, and now we've got the Patriots loss. Things could go downhill very quickly here. I'm so thrilled to hear that you're going to come back for another week, even though um, this may turn into a uh, Jets gripe session week after week. Okay, so here's the wager, because I'm going to ignore all of that, because, (laughs) you know... Despair of all hope, people (laughs) go down that street. Yes. Um, And I say that as somebody who used to be a sex crimes prosecutor. So like, just no, we're not going there. Um, Which side of this bet do you want? Will there be more Zach Wilson completions? If somebody else comes in, that doesn't count. Right. Or close-ups on Taylor Swift. That um, we're going to have to keep track of that. And I would say it's a pretty 50-50 proposition. If you start the count before the opening whistle so that it includes pre-game. No, I would for, from take, opening kickoff from on. opening kickoff, from opening whistle through, I would take the that there will be more camera shots of Taylor Swift. Okay, so I'm now rooting for Zach Wilson to um, to complete a lot of passes. It's possible Taylor Swift will avoid the limelight, even though the Chiefs are coming to her, the city she lives in because she does not seem to have much media savvy. That's uh, sarcasm right there. <laughs> right. But I, I think the odds are pretty good that she's going to be at MetLife Stadium are you going to be at MetLife Stadium? I am not going to be at MetLife Stadium um, because if I go to MetLife, Sta- MetLife Stadium for a Sunday night game, knowing 
how public transportation works to the stadium and how the parking lot works, it would mean driving home angry or taking the bus home angry well after midnight, which is well after my bedtime. So I'm just going to put this out there. At some point, it doesn't have to be this weekend, but at some point, I think I need the actual Kessler Jets watching experience complete with the meatballs. Done and done. When next time we have folks over to watch the games and I make a big pot of meatballs, you've got yourself an invite. You've got yourself an invite. Well, that's it for this episode of the Jets cast, recounting the Jets' disappointing 15-10 to 10 loss to the New England Patriots and looking at the upcoming game this Sunday night against Kansas City. Mitch, thank you one more time for joining me. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. And looking forward to having you back next week. Of course, be sure also to continue to follow Milo Time, which will the next episode will drop, as it always does, on Saturday night, Sunday morning at midnight. Lisa Cohen will be joining me for that. And you'll note, our uh, keen listeners will note, that we've created a new podcast for this JetsCast. And if you search for the JetsCast inspired by Milo Time, you'll be able to find it where you always find Milo Time. For most of you, it'll be on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts. So thank you again, everybody, for listening to the JetsCast. And we will be back again next week. And join me and Lisa Cohen after midnight on Saturday for the usual episode of Milo Time. Thanks again.